perceptions another episode we're just chugging along these days like uh, thomas the engine the old the old fairy tale book it's a fairy tale i don't know but today we have a new guest jacqueline santos is that how am i pronouncing it right first of all that's correct yeah okay okay and jacqueline i don't you asked me on our little pre-call how did you find my profile and honestly i can't remember i think <laughs> it was the travel hashtag i'm not sure okay. uh, but yeah, if you want to give everybody just a little overview of who you are, um, who you were, you know, oh. maybe you have a few identities. I don't know, but yeah. take her away. Yeah. I mean, I think people today, a lot of people have a few identities and multiple careers, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm an artist and that's my primary, I guess, self-identified career. I was a full-time artist for a while and um, I think I told you I was on a reality show about art. I've you know, work for famous artists, sold art all over the world, galleries, museums. And then in 2014, I started to get really big into investing, particularly in like cryptocurrency. And it changed my life forever. And now I, I still do art and I actually do a lot of um, digital art and stuff that I've kind of done anonymously or kept a little more low key for the time being, because it's experimental and, you know, a lot of it involves coding coding and like in-game assets so i'm getting into that now too but and that's all run on the blockchain it's really exciting stuff <laughs> so i was just gonna say i mean maybe you get into some sort of crypto art or just something exactly. that's what it is yeah i've been into it years yep i've i created several projects on the blockchain several tokens and most of them i've done anonymously or through like an alias that some of my friends know about it's it's a really fun, playful, experimental time in the space. So I'm enjoying like creating assets for what could end up being a game and then seeing how that goes. And if that doesn't work, like working with other things and, and just straight digital art, like limited edition prints on the blockchain and which are really cool. I don't know if you, you know about crypto, do you know about these NFTs? Well, an NFT is a non-fungible token. So you know, you have your cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are fungible. So there's, they're, they're not unique. There's like lots of them. Like for Bitcoin, there's 21 million coins. Um, they're pretty much interchangeable, but with NFTs, they're actually unique. So one of a kind, and you can, there's many different things that can be put onto the blockchain and they're all using Ethereum at the moment for the most part. I think a few other um, cryptos are allowing NFT creation, but Ethereum is definitely the most advanced when it comes to allowing you to create your own NFTs. And that's interesting because, I mean, you just, you just asked if I kind of have been into crypto and I've only gotten into it like the last three months, literally after okay. I get a guest on talk about Bitcoin. And, um, well, that's good timing. It's only gone up. You must be like double at this point, at least. It, it, it is. It's been good. It's gotten a little, you know, a little dippy little <laughs> to the other point, but that's where you want to buy. I hope you don't buy Ripple. Don't buy that. <laughs> Do I not won't. Buy I won't. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but the funny thing is, um, how do you pronounce it? ETH, Erythium? Ethereum. Ethereum. Like Ether. Like, ether. The, 
Yeah, like the element, the mystical element of ether. Yeah. Got it, the mystical element. Um, I've heard a lot of steam being gained with that one specifically. Um, is it because there's this NFT within that? Is there, what's the differentiation? Oh, so many reasons. I mean, so, so I am, Ethereum, I'll say this though, just, I guess I have to because a full disclosure, I own a lot of ETH. Um, <laughs> you know, this is not investment advice, right? But like um, Ethereum is, it's changed my life. It's something I invested in at like $6. So I really believe in this coin. And um, NFTs are huge in the market and it allows a user to create like art on the blockchain. You can put tickets on the blockchain. You can put music on the blockchain and then you can set the royalties. So imagine like, have you ever purchased an in-game asset like on Fortnite or any of these it, yeah, I don't know if you're talking about language. Yes, I've, I've done some yeah. fun for it night here and there. Yeah, so let's say you buy an outfit. Well, imagine that you want to sell that outfit to someone else and it's gone up in value because it's rare, right? So like you can sell that outfit and let's say you make a profit, that's great. But the seller, the original creator could have built in royalties so that they're collecting like 10%. And that's amazing. And you don't even have to do anything. It just through the smart contract on the blockchain goes straight to the creator. It's pretty pretty incredible. Um, but that's not even honestly why I think it's going up right now. My personal opinion on why it's going up is um, the banks are buying it and they're allowing you to buy like the ETFs finally, which they have done for Bitcoin with Grayscale. And now finally they're allowing it for Ethereum also. And this is a big deal because a lot of people don't actually want to own the tokens. They just want to speculate on the derivatives of it. You know, they want to speculate on the price. You know, if you have all your money locked up in on an, on a traditional stock exchange, then you, you don't really want to have to move it back and forth and all those taxable events. So that way you can just like buy the ETF. And finally people are allowed to do that with Ethereum, which I think is the big deal. Yeah. And so, and I was completely kidding when I said, maybe you'll get into crypto art. So this is exactly what you're doing now. You're selling. Oh, yeah. I, I created a whole game. Um, it actually did really well. I, I was thinking about, I made a lot of um, money from it, but like I kept it all in Ethereum and I realized, holy crap, most of the money I made was when Ethereum was like $300. I need to go check my ETH wallet because that's up at least five, five and a half times today. So I just realized that this morning. <laughs> well, good realization. There you go. What a good yeah. friend for you. Yeah, but I created a whole game um, at the start of COVID called um, Corona Babies. And it's just, yeah, I kind of, I, I kept it more within my like tech circle as opposed to my like, you know, more snobby like fine art scene that, you know, just because I think it's so experimental and I wanted to see how it would go. And it's very different from like, the stuff I normally make and the stuff I'm even making now, but it was very successful, really fun. And then I did a lot of other art projects on the blockchain too. And I created a card series anonymously. Um, I've done a lot of stuff. So it's, it's been, you know, like trading cards on the blockchain. I don't know if you, yeah, that's another good use case, but so many things. Um, another big part of why things are going up is something called decentralized finance or DeFi. So, let's say you end up having a lot of Ethereum, you know, you can actually take out a loan with your ETH and borrow up to like half 
of what you have in your portfolio. So if you had $20,000, you could take out an extra $10,000 to trade with or to like use in the real world for your purchases. And if Ethereum keeps going up, you pay off the loan just by the asset, you know, accumulating value. And that's interesting. Cool that's, yeah. that's, that's insane. I mean, I feel like you're a few steps ahead of the game in the crypto world. Um, I've been around a while. I, I really, it's been my life, honestly, for the past, like since 2015, I, you know, like 2014 is when I started buying, but I, you know, 2017 is really when it's been my life, you know, most from 2014 to 2017, it was just something I had, but it was that bull market that started 2017 where my life completely changed, you know? So what, uh, what exactly made you realize the opportunity there was around crypto? Did you have, was it a few different things or was there like a big light bulb that went off where you were like, okay, yeah. I got down this way. There was a few things. So, um, you know, my dad is like an old school coder, right? So growing up, um, like he coded the first bulletin board systems. He code, he coded like some of the earliest, like MS-DOS kind of early tech stuff. And because of that, I was always like looking for new opportunities and I do know some code myself and then recently taught myself Unity. Um, but it's something that I kind of had always wished I knew more about. And so I felt like when I started to hear about Bitcoin all the way back in like 2011 or 12, I try, I, I really thought it was like fascinating and the whole concept of like decentralized, like owning your own wealth, um, not relying on banks, but I couldn't figure out how to buy it. It was actually really hard. You had to like go on these weird, creepy exchanges like Cripsy and like buy it in person at a gas station and like exchange private keys. And it, it was just like so sketchy because most of it was drugs, you know? And like, but then, you know, okay. So, so I held off a few years. I probably would have been super freaking rich by now if I had done that. But um, yeah, I think, um, there was a big thing with Silk Road, which was like a, a drug exchange. Um, I never used it, but I'd read articles about it and I was like, oh my gosh, there, yeah. But there was like so much opportunity there. I mean, I could see like, like imagine if you're going to, um, you know, try to buy something from someone so far away, how are you supposed to get the money for that? And I just said, oh my God, so many people are gonna use this. Another thing was um, just realizing that like, you know, in the States, we take for granted how easy it is to send money. And it is absolutely not that way in other countries. So especially like China, um, if you're wealthy, you cannot move more than $50,000 out of the country. Like the government forbids it. You're just not allowed to. So what if you wanted to buy a house in another country? How would you do that? You know, so a lot of people, obviously, it's not going to just because there's a, a law there, it's not going to stop them from doing that if they have the opportunity. So I just felt like there was this huge need for people to be able to move money across borders, to have it in their own custody. Um, I mean, there's so many use cases for it that aren't necessarily illicit or illegal. And I just, I felt, and, and also being in Silicon Valley. So I moved to San Francisco in 2015 and it was right after I had bought some um, Bitcoin. And I was telling a lot of friends that I had bought this thing that went up and they're like, oh, you should check out Ethereum. Like, 
you know, we are, we invested really early in the tech. Not tech long ago, they're saying this. This isn't, yeah, in 20, end of 2015 is when I started to, I believe, or 2016, early 2016 for Ethereum. Wow. So I had already been invested in Bitcoin. And then early 2016 is when I was told about Ethereum. But there was a lot of stuff that was happening where Ethereum split, like, um, into, uh, into Ethereum Classic, you know, that kind of hard fork thing that you probably know about. And... So I didn't get in at the ICO, but I got in at, it was around $6 is right. Wow. And yeah, and because I had had that experience of watching Bitcoin go up and I've been reading all these investment books, I was like, screw this. I'm putting my life savings. Like that's because that's the mistake a lot of girls make, you know, girls always invest small amounts, but really? men are, it's like a psychological thing. It's psychological, like it's behavioral psychology and not every woman and obviously and there's a few in the industry also that have invested a lot of money but by and large like i see all these patterns of it it's exactly what i did you start out investing a thousand dollars and then it jumps if that's successful they'll say all right i'll do five and then ten and it's like this whole process of testing it with women um but every guy I've ever introduced to crypto i want to put in fifty thousand dollars right now or thirty whatever they can and it's such a bold tactic that I think, um, take a drink. You said bold. What's that? I said, take a drink. You said bold. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's, but that's how you make money is you need to put in quite a bit of money to actually make real money from it. So it's, it's been a journey. It's like been a journey that truly changed my life. And then since that point, I've just been so involved in like so I started investing in early stage crypto startups called ICOs. And some of those, like a lot of them were scammy, not the ones I invested in, but there were a lot of like really sketchy ones that the SEC like ended up coming after. And, but there's been some incredible projects that I, I'm very lucky to have been in very early on at the ICO level. So just like an IPO, you know? Got it, got it. And is there, what's your, I mean, I don't know if you're hitting percent yeah. here shooting 100 percent. have there been any fuck-ups where you investing in the wrong thing and you were like i'm a little scared or there have been fuck-ups um but it's overall been amazing um but the fuck-ups have been more like so my tactics worked and then when the icos the ico craze happened it was really like tw the beginning of 2018 and so I was like, okay, I'm going to keep investing this big money. And I would put in money that was like, looking back, I can't even believe I, I put, would put in this much. And what I didn't realize was it would be locked up for years. And so it's sort of like investing in, in early stage startups in Silicon Valley. It's the same idea where like you invest and then you have to, you have this whole vesting schedule and it takes many years before you actually see one cent. So you're not liquid. And that was a challenge because so much of my money was locked up for so long. And I, I felt like it would be really hard for a lot of people to do that, you know? Why you did art or this was after art? Oh no, I mean, yeah, this was all, I mean, I still do art. It's just not as full time, you know, now I have both because I think you have it, this thing hit me suddenly and unexpectedly. Like when I invested, I had like in Bitcoin, I had no idea that I'd make as much as I did, like no clue. It was just a gamble. And then with Ethereum, I think when it started to go up, it was very fast. It was like early 2017. 
I mean, I had made more money, like, like I became an official crypto millionaire. Right. And it was like, how do I manage this? Like this, like I was an artist. I was, you know, I want to say I was struggling. That wasn't true, but I was not ever expecting that I would be making that level of income. And it hit me at once. I had to like spend a lot of time learning how to manage that, how to pay the taxes on that, how to, um, keep it safe and like also, you know, it, it kind of changes your life. And so I did that and my art and kind of, and what was great was I was able to just make whatever art I wanted to. I didn't have to rely on sales. I didn't have to like rely on a gallery to support me. So it allows you to be a lot more experimental and playful and grow. And that's the most important thing because I really believe life is just a journey of growth and I think if, you know, having that freedom to play as an artist is really important and experiment. So I've been very lucky. And I'm sure that's an incredible creative outlet. For you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's entirely another topic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> talk a lot about creating anything, creating something on here. And I'm sure you can attest to the fact that it's damn near therapeutic. No, I mean, it is therapeutic. Oh, for me, it's, it's absolutely because I paint like I mean, very, and draw very emotional, like guttural, like total feelings oriented stuff. You know, I, like, it's like my personal diary, like my insides just pouring out, you know, and very vulnerable and raw. And I think it's like very much for me, absolutely therapy. Yeah. And I'm sure you do it, what, every day at this point, right? I don't do it every day. Um, I'd like to get back into doing it every day. I think, um, a lot of, you know, this year was hard. Um, I moved around a lot and a lot of life changes, but um, I've, I've been doing it every day recently. Um, like I've, I'm actually almost finished a new piece. I've been doing it every day recently, but I think um, I have a pretty good balance right now. And, but I would very much like to just set up a studio, do it full time. It's just when the timing's right. I don't, I don't have a lot of fear about that actually surprisingly like um I don't know why but I just I feel like I know that when the timing's right it's just I'll be back at it full time I'm not even worried I feel like you have a lot of faith in the universe after you oh, yeah. jumped in bitcoin at yes. I mean you're like you're from the future I think exactly. yeah, maybe I don't know there's there's ebbs and flows right to life and it's like we're living so much longer today than we ever were how could anyone just do one thing and that's it. Like you're only going to make music or only going to make art, only going to be a stockbroker or a lawyer. Like, how is that even possible anymore? Wouldn't you get bored? Like after just doing the same thing your whole life. So I think sometimes coming out and taking a step back is so critical to your development. Otherwise you just start repeating yourself, you know, or get stuck. And I've seen that happen a lot too, where so many friends from art school, like their art looks exactly the same 10 years later, like identical, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's a good thing. Like you made a bunch of stuff that hasn't like evolved whatsoever. Okay. And that's just not the path I want. Like I definitely think it's important to evolve as a human. And then you have something more to say about the work. So when did you get into art? Was it, have you been doing art for, you know, 15 years did you have is was that your you know your first job what what does your career path look like because sure. at this point I'm convinced you 
future. I don't know. Well, let's see. Um, I guess at this point, it's been, I mean, well, maybe, maybe, so I, like I graduated in um, 2007 from art school. So if you're counting like as art as a career or art as a child, because I think to be an artist, you usually start early because to even get into art schools, like you have to have a whole portfolio. So yeah, I, I definitely like started early. Um, I wasn't certain, like I, I really thought there was a chance I would end up doing um, business or economics and um, it took a lot of faith to just jump into it, but it's what I love. It's like the thing that makes me feel alive. And so I, I just took the leap of faith and I did that. And, um, and then when I graduated, I um, immediately started working for this guy, Jeff Koons, who's like a world renowned artist. Um, How did you get in under him? Honestly, I just applied on Craigslist. Like there was an ad and Craigslist, that, that, yeah, people used to use that for jobs, remember? Like, okay. you know, it's a thing. I don't know, it was, it was a thing back then. And it was a good job because, so he has a whole factory sort of like Andy Warhol. And I don't know if you're really familiar with the setup, but of like just tons of people working for him and making his art. But he's like more of the, um, he's the conceptualizer of it. Like he conceptualizes it and um, he creates some of it, but it's mostly like created in this whole studio process, but he's brilliant. And so it was really like, I think the perfect first job as an artist because you're perfecting your skills. Like I was working like 40 hours a week, nine to five, just like on these paintings that are absolutely perfect. And you're learning all of these techniques like an apprentice and while you're kind of figuring out what you want to do. And so I got to do that for two years and I was feeling a little bored after that, but then perfect timing was, um, I saw this ad for a reality show about art called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist. And so I got selected for that and I got- Okay, okay hold on. This is this <laughs> is a big deal, Jacqueline. Like you get, so you applied on Craigslist, you get that job. Yeah. Then you see something for reality TV. <laughs> is this on like Bravo? I, it I'm, was on Bravo, yeah, Bravo. it was. See, I'm not that I'm not that young I'm not that young ah. <laughs> but so you get on Bravo and I mean how many people are applying there's got to be oh my god many many thousands like even in New York you had to apply in person like and bring all of the work at the line was like nine hours long and then it overflowed to the next day it was and though so I had to come back the next day and like bring all the stuff back it was such a long process but um I kind of knew even before I went there, I was going to get it. It's just some, I don't know. I, I foresaw it. And there was something about it that I felt like needed to be my path, you know? And, and it's kind of interesting because I think looking back, it was actually maybe a little ahead of its time in the sense of how vulnerable people were. And like, it was a pretty good show. And, um, you know, then I think what happened with the whole social media Instagram takeover that happened in 2012, for a while, people got, it's like culture got hijacked by like this fake perfectionism where people stopped, like, you know, everything was just kind of repetitious, even within the art circle. Like, you know, you'd see like someone making one thing and then another street artist making the same thing, just like slightly different. And it was just like this hive mind of creativity that, 
I felt like became a little bland. And now people now, ironically, it's like the younger generation, you know, Gen Z is very obsessed with like being real and raw and vulnerable. And I think that's a great thing to like get back to people actually expressing who they are and um, truly connecting, you know, as opposed to kind of putting out perfect life, like here it is, you know, but behind closed doors, everything's a little bit fake, you know, or not reality. <laughs> well, now that I think about it, I mean, I feel like art, what's trendy in art, and I'm by no means am I some art critic, right? I'm not Andy Warhol's son. That's I, okay. You can have your opinions. They're valid. Exactly. <laughs> but I feel like what's trendy in art kind of mirrors society and what's going on. Um, <laughs> and you said Instagram's takeover in 2012. What were the parallels then with the art world compared to society? And how did they differ from when you were on Bravo? Um, I think back then there was much more of, okay, so the cons I would say were that there was much more of a centralized closed system of getting in, getting your art out to the world in that it was very much a hierarchy of like, and, and very snobby and like you had to know the right people and go to the right schools and like if you didn't go to art school, you had to like schmooze every Thursday night in Chelsea at the gallery scenes. And so it's very like insular. So that was, so it's good that like social media allowed people to have voices outside of that. But the downside I think is, I think there's something good about like good curation, like a, a curator coming in and saying, who, who really understands art or anything, and saying, this is valid, this is valid, this is valid, and this is interesting, and we need to see more of this. Because certain people have, you know, spent a lifetime just kind of dissecting art and understanding it. And obviously they're gonna have, they're gonna know like what is much more culturally, culturally relevant or interesting than, you know, what, your general population is gonna think is cool, right? Like if you look up art on Instagram, it's gonna be a bunch of like really stupid, repetitive like images that kind of, you know, are meant to like make a wall look pretty and maybe have like a little tinge of edge to them that's not too edgy, but like just a dash of like spray paint or like street art, you know, or something that's just kind of, you know, but it's not really like going to be saying anything unique. It's going to be very derivative of other art. And it's and probably not meant to make you think too deep, right? No, absolutely not. It's much more decorative. Whereas if you have galleries and curators, I think that, you know, you're able to like find interesting voices, kind of like how you, you know, found me like, okay, you're going to go in and like really seek out people that are interesting that maybe like aren't necessarily renowned or like known to the whole world yet especially within like yeah. more marginalized cultures like within the african-american community and um you know within like uh, women and lgbtq and like i think they have extremely valid um perspective and some of the best art today is coming from people in those groups and so like it's important to sort of lift the strongest things out of that and like showcase it but um, so those are, so I think that's one of the big changes, but also just kind of even on a subconscious level, like we've, we've been like image overload, you know? So that affects you. It's like, you need to kind of 
like step back and sometimes take a break from that so that you can think clearly. And you know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. It's true mean, energy overload, you know? Oh, it's, it's overstimulation. Yeah. I think there's so much going on, right? Yeah. Um, we I all get fixed together. <laughs> exactly. No, there's too many colors at once. Too many colors to paint. Right. <laughs> um, and I want to rewind too. I have, God, I have like three or four questions I want to rewind to. I'll, I'll do one at a time. Sure. But <clears throat> back to when you were standing in line to apply for Bravo. Mm-hmm. How did you know this was going to happen? Are you big into manifestation? Are you? Oh yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I like this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have called it manifestation back then, though, because I, I wasn't aware of it. But as that term, but I was aware of it. I had I definitely started to read into these kind of books and I would have called it law of attraction back then. But then a few years later, I guess maybe more specifically manifestation. I, I manifest. I'm very, and it's crazy because all those years later, I'm still very actively manifesting and I have more tools now. I have my like sound bowls. I have my, like I, I write in my journal every day. I, you know, I have a lot of techniques for it. Even with art, art is kind of manifestation, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing to see how certain things, how you, we're always manifesting, whether it's stuff we want or stuff we don't want, you know, sometimes it works against us, but it's maybe what we need on our journey, like of self-discovery, because there's a lot of like weaknesses we might have, but it's important to work through those things too. So a good example would be like, um, years ago, I was in um, a very a long-term relationship and great guy and we were best friends, but I think we both knew the relationship was over. And I, I was like a little too afraid to leave. I just didn't know how to do this. I mean, cause we were engaged and it was, it was pretty difficult. So I'm skiing and then I get in this like horrible ski accident that I tear my ACL and MCL. And it just kind of like, forced me into a position where I had to like change major elements of my life. And sometimes I feel like when we refuse to change things, the world will, you know, accidents might happen or like other negative manifestations to sort of force you to do that. So it happens all the time, whether you're actively doing it or not. Yeah. And I mean, when that happens too, you have two options. You can be, wow, whoa, me, the universe is against me. Or you can realize, wow, the universe actually is really working for me here. This caused me to, you know, break away from this person that wasn't for me. Right. And I love the law of attraction stuff. Um, It just instills this confidence in you. That's just crazy. And And like a personal responsibility of like that you can, you might have been responsible for that, but you can still change it going forward. So what are these uh, soundboards? You mentioned soundboards. What are these new? Sound bowls. It's um, they're like these quartz bowls where you can kind of like so, it kind of just has these vibrations that come out like beautiful sounds. Um, I can do one later for you, but like it's, it actually creates like the vibration, like the sound vibration around your body, and it allows you to meditate like. I, for me, I, I find it easier to meditate. Otherwise I get a little distracted if I'm just like sitting there like this. So 
like just the act of like making this sound keeps me focused on just the moment and I can do that for like 10 minutes and as I'm doing that I'll think about all the things that I want to bring into my life and like things that might need changing or things that I just feel I I'd like to attract and it's it's been fun <laughs> have you heard of binaural beats then because these were I'm, oh yeah yeah it's probably the same thing yeah like the alpha waves and beta and gamma all those yeah, yeah. definitely it's exactly that it's just a different way of like getting those vibrations into your brain and your yeah. surroundings. Yeah. So the very last guest we had, um, he wrote a book called the gamma mindset, which okay. obviously is because it's about these, you know, gamma brain waves. And, uh, he shot me over like a meditative thing to do in the morning, um, where it's these gamma frequencies in your ears. Okay. You're, you're tapping on like these, what's it called? Acupuncture points. Oh yeah, the it, tapping. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's yeah. a good technique. I haven't. Different ones, yeah. 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 So I totally get that. That's that's fascinating. I think that's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so would you say, looking back, I guess not manifestation. That's not the word. But is there? Is it just luck that you stumbled into crypto at the right time, or what led you to that? Do you think there's more to the puzzle here? Um, I think that it's more like, so, I mean, I had like, I would say it's more than luck because just like art, it would keep forcing itself into my life. Like I didn't ever want to be an artist. I actually thought it was kind of stupid at first. You know, I was like, I, I'd rather be like an actress or something fun, like not a nerdy artist. And, but I was just really good at it. And I would keep like coming back without me even like wanting it there, you know? And that was when I was very, very young, but, and then I just accepted that this is like who I am. This is what I love. And, but then with crypto, it was kind of the same where like, it would just keep appearing and it's like, okay, I can't ignore this thing. It's obviously like just trying to make, you know, make me aware of it. So I needed to figure, and at the time it was like, I needed to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my, like, I don't want to be in old lady one day and like have no money. And so I need to invest this money and I don't have a 401k. So it was just like, it all just, it, because of that, I was like actively seeking investment opportunities and it just all kind of, maybe that part was luck of it, like being crypto, you know? But I also just really love crypto. I think it's like, I am, I'd consider myself a libertarian and I believe in personal responsibility. And I like, it just resonates with me very deeply. The idea that like, we can be our own custodians of our own bankers necessarily. And not, I may still have a bank, but I'm not like that much of a libertarian, but I think just the idea of general personal responsibility for our lives has always resonated with me. And so like, I, I really believe in it. And I believe that uh, like, there will be a future where practically everything is decentralized and on the blockchain. Well, yeah. that's the hope. If you <laughs> and that is the hope, of course. And yeah. <laughs> I've talked to enough people that I consider very smart and they're, right. they're all for it. They're all for it. So my question would be, it's everybody listening for <laughs> Is it too late, Jacqueline? Is it too late to become a crypto? Uh, of course it's not too late. I mean, to be, I wouldn't set your goals on like millionaire or this or that. It's like, yeah, it, I, that might be a little tricky, you know, cause it's not like you're buying in at like $5 or 10, you know, whatever. But I think just 
focus on growth. Like the stock market's killing it too right now. I mean, right now it's not that hard to like make money. And the, the only thing you need to do is be inflation because inflation's pretty high right now. And even just looking around at like housing prices and like standard of living, what it just costs to like live today, it's, I feel like it's just gone up so much. I mean, and so you just need to beat that. You need to be at least like five to 10% a year, like on your gains and you're at least beating the market, you know? I mean, ideally you'd try to make a lot more than that. And that's doing your own research, you know, like Bitcoin, I think the projections are, all right. So for most traders, I know they're, they're projecting around anywhere from 50 to 60,000 all the way up to like 110,000 in this bull run could go higher, but you know, that's kind of like the consensus among a lot within of in the year or how long are we talking? Probably within the year. Yeah. I mean, cause people have come to a point, here's the thing. People have gotten to a point where they'd rather let Bitcoin go to zero than sell it. Like there's so many people that have been invested in this now for like eight, nine years that like, if they wanted to sell it, they would have done it a long time ago, you know, or they've, they've already sold however much they wanted to a long time ago. Like people do not want to sell it. You know, they'd rather just hold it forever or hold it as long as they possibly can. So you have this like security that's in the market that wasn't there. So even with the dips, it's just like, there's only 21 million, you know, like there's actually not even enough Bitcoin for every single millionaire in the world to own one. It's so scarce. So, and if, and I don't know if you've been seeing the commercials, but it's like, you know, it's now the new digital gold. And like a lot of these banks, that's what they're trying to do is replace gold with Bitcoin because it's so much more useful. You can, I mean, gold is an amazing and you can wear it and there's uses for it, but I can send you money right now. I can send you however much I want and you can have it in like a few minutes. And that's an amazing thing. I can't do that with gold, you know? Yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> that's why uh, like coins and cash were created because yeah. you couldn't chop up gold. If I was a, you know, if I was a caveman with gold or exactly. longer exactly. on the timeline, but that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and so obviously this is a very futuristic conversation. You were acting very futuristic when you bought all this. <laughs> what's next what is next i mean uh, is there going to be you know ufos raining bitcoin oh, i wish i hope right like that would be fascinating can we go to space or something like as soon as possible like let me on the rocket ship um no i i think that like developing within the space is the is where we're at now and like you're seeing a lot more traditional companies or, or well-financed companies rather coming in and like building on top of the Ethereum blockchain or creating their own blockchains, creating incredible technology that is just really going to compete in um, with major players in the world, like with file storage, right? For instance, um, I'm invested in a token called Filecoin. It's brilliant tech and like, it's going to be a big competitor for like Dropbox and I guess what Google Drive or any of these like centralized companies because there's things that you can do. Like, I think they created a whole backup of Wikipedia so that other countries that don't, their countries like don't allow you to like see, they block access to websites. They can see their backup version of Wikipedia, right? So that's what decentralization does is it disrupts any kind of interference by 
a party that might like not agree with you or a party that might try to block you from doing something. So having decentralization, it it's democratizing things. It gives power to everyone, you know? It's a really beautiful thing. And yeah, I mean, the fact that even now, like so many young people are taking charge of their portfolios, investing themselves. So many people have a Robinhood account or like a cryptocurrency, you know, a Coinbase account, like, it wasn't that way like when my parents were like my mom never learned how to invest ever like i don't think many people's mothers touched investments you know and it's like really cool that you see so many young people doing this yeah and i mean <laughs> you said uh the r word robin hood what do you think about that whole development oh, the GameStop and all the the reddit yes I can, that love with, it. can that happen with crypto Oh, it's ha oh, crypto invented the whole like um, pump and dump of like to that extreme, the whole like meme culture that they've borrowed that from crypto. Um, I think it was amazing like to to find that opportunity. I, I didn't do it like I most honestly, the vast majority of my portfolio is in crypto and all of my stocks are just long term. I don't like day trade the stocks. But I thought it was awesome. Like they found this company, you know, these companies like shorts and short squeeze them and found this opportunity to manipulate the system. And, you know, that's never really been done before where you have like Main Street beating Wall Street. It's freaking cool. Like, I think, I think it's just really good to disrupt that power because the truth is like, it's just um, a lack of information that was holding people back from investing. Like, there's no reason that anyone can't do it. Like, we're all well-educated enough and smart enough to learn about it. It's not rocket science, actually. And, but the culture tries to make you feel like, oh, well, if you don't have, like, um, a Bloomberg terminal at home, like, then you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're just, like, a retail investor. And that's, like, some kind of negative thing. No, it's not negative at all to be a retail investor. It's amazing because you, you know, you have control of your finances and you're knowledgeable and you're not just like at the whim of a bank or like someone else so 100 percent, 100 percent that you know the majority of your investments are crypto yeah crypto or maybe you know correct me if i'm wrong you of course know way more than i do on crypto at this mm -hmm. point it's not very liquid right so when you're traveling you're a traveler are you traveling with crypto are you paying for things with crypto oh no um no, I really don't do that yet because, um, sorry, I was just actually looking. Um, so no, I don't do that yet because it's just technically every time you pay, it is kind of like a taxable event, you know? So they need to kind of figure this out where like retailers need to figure out how to like integrate that with the exchanges so that it's all reported in a way that's like, that makes a lot of sense. So most people who are invested early, they, they just would never do that because it's just too complicated. I do send crypto to like friends sometimes if it's easier, right? Like let's say like Venmo has a cap of like, what is it like 2,500 a week that you can send. Yep. So, so it's pretty easy sometimes to like, um, max out on that. So like, I'll be like, okay, you need a thousand dollars for this or whatever. Okay. I'll send you that in crypto. And that's super easy. You can do it with a QR code. So I definitely do that. Um, but if I need something big, I'll just cash out or, you know, that's, that's what I, I just use it when I need it. 
like I have a certain amount that I allocate towards that. And then the rest is like long-term hold, you know? Um, but if I wanted to liquidate it, it wouldn't be hard. Now, most of the ICOs I've done have the, I've received the returns already. So um, for a while it was locked up, but now it's come back to me. So. <laughs> See, this is, this is crazy because I, I thought this was going to be about uh, your art for the most part, <laughs> which it has been, but I, I had no idea to the extent of, you know, how wealthy you were in crypto. Well, I'm not like, I mean, pe there's people way wealthier than I am. I'm just like, like a little, like tiny fish, honestly, compared to some of the whales out there. Like, but I am able to make enough, like, that's very respectable to live off of and, and have, and still have savings for a very long time. And like, and I'm earning still in crypto, like I'm creating and earning all the time with it. So, um, like I intend on having it the rest of my life, but yeah, there's people that have made way, way, way more money than I have. So I, I don't want to act like I'm, you know, kind of like pretend that I'm some big shot, you know? <laughs> well, so, I mean, I think <laughs> you creating art in crypto, though, I, I haven't yeah. heard a lot of people doing that. Like that yeah, that's still early. That's still very early. And it's really, it's really awesome. There's one drawing, though, that I'm doing right now that I'm going to put on the blockchain. I'm really excited about it. So I'll do a limited edition and I have to figure out if I'll distribute a physical version with it. I think they'll just be the original physical version and then everything else you'll just get the NFT and maybe like an addition of 20. Um, that's instead of, I, I, like some people they'll do like, you get the NFT and the physical prints, but I don't, I don't know if that makes a lot of conceptual sense to me. So I'll have to think that over, but. I mean, who knows if art will even be in physical form in 10 years, exactly. digital. It's like, even if you get the physical form, who's going to see it? Like, you can't bring anyone over. Like, we're in freaking lockdown and and who who will see it? Like, you're, you know, the two people that live with or whoever lives with you and like the few people you bring over. Like, I think we're now kind of creating these NFT wallets and like all these ways to display your work. I mean, and TVs are becoming like frames. So you can kind of use them as digital art. I was actually just... Um, in a house that I was renting for in Vegas for a while. And the owner installed probably about 50 TVs in the house. So <laughs> literally the garage, uh, the shower had a TV like, and I mean, you could put art like on those TVs, you know, so you could put your NFT, your digital creation on the, on the screen, you know, it was really, really cool. So you could, you, you, what you could do is you could pay for your own arts ads on all these TVs at all times. So when people are showering, Jacqueline Santos, oh. eating Jacqueline's art, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm so weird about art ads. I don't know. I, I think it's like art is so, it's so complicated where um, it's so pure to me, like that I hate having to advertise it and or sell it like and I've never really had to it's just I guess I've been lucky that way but I also feel like you know you build it and people will come kind of I don't have any problem with people advertising and I understand why artists do that it's just not really my path like I'm more of the path I actually probably was inspired a lot by artists like Jeff and that he was a Wall Street, I think broker, or I can't remember what he did, investment banking or something like that. I think he was a commodities trader, but he earned most of his money to fund his studio practice 
by doing something outside of the studio because then you can make art that's really like whatever you want to make and it's not about like oh well, I need to make x amount of sales to make the art you know yes or and find I a sponsor like Van Gogh had his brother or a, what you call a benefactor or just like um an investor like um Picasso had them all of the all of the artists in the 20th century had these kind of like benefactor relationships where people would just invest in them to, until they could get their work going and then you know so so advertising and art has kind of always been weird to me it's more just about the act of creating I see no I see that I see where you're coming from and I, I feel like art I mean I'm kind of speaking for you here of course but yeah. I feel like art probably holds a special place in your heart because like, like you're saying, you could have been an actress, you could have done this, you could have, you know, gone to business school, but there's something about following your passion, yeah. you know, and going down that road that probably really resonates with you. Yeah. And that's very insightful. And it's like, I, I hold it on a pedestal in a way. It's like, it's my insides. So it's, it's like my soul coming out. So like, how do you put a monetary value on your, your feelings and your soul? You, it's just not possible. So, um, I'm very like guarded about that. And, but I love selling it. Like, like it's actually a beautiful thing. I've sold work for a lot of money and it's, it's a beautiful thing. You find these relationships with collectors. Some of them I've never even met. Like I have no idea who these people are and they'll write me letters of like, you know, I just bought this piece and it just, and it's just this beautiful thing of how every little detail that they've read into it, like what it means and how it means something to them. And it's it's kind of magical when you have that connection with someone, just like, you know, making someone tear up when you write a song or like connecting through a novel. But like that connection is really what I, I love. The part of selling it is fun and it's an ego boost, but it's not really at all what it's about to me. You, you like know? the connection with the Like, I think it's, I think art making is the most beautiful human connection ever like ever possible whether that's dance like music fine art but I think just to connect at that soul level and it's one of the most beautiful gifts you can bring to this world you know I think I'm gonna go inside and just start watercolor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. but, well, we're uh unfortunately we're coming up on our limit yeah. here our yeah. limit and we have a lot of younger listeners um, that may not have done what you did and really dropped everything to follow their passion or find what really makes them tick. Is there anything, you know, from law of attraction to just going for it, to waiting outside for Bravo, just what, what are your main, you know, what are your main points of advice for these people? Okay. I would say the main one is not just, you know, when it comes to manifesting, you have to take action. So it's about having the thoughts and knowing that it can be with it, that it will be within your reality, then feeling that it's possible. So then channeling those emotions of like, what would it feel like for that to be your reality? But then once you get there, you must take action. Like you've like the thing that seems scary, like standing in line, you know, that could be humil humiliating because you might not get the part or whatever, do it anyway. Like if you're an actor, show up to a hundred auditions till they cast you. If you don't have a job yet, like go on 30 Zoom, you know, interviews until you get that job. But it's like never giving up by taking action, you know, and never quitting. So I think using that to like 
maybe ask the universe what you think that action should be. And going with your gut is like the real tactic there. But it always involves taking action, never just like thinking, you know. And I like the bit too earlier about the uh, the ski accident. By the way, have you seen the game or the movie Molly's Game? I love that movie. I just watched I that. Molly, when you said that. Oh my God, what a great movie. I felt like I was her. So I was watching it and because I was actually, so I was just living in Vegas because of the whole pandemic and gambling quite a bit, like more than I ever have. It was really, really fun. And um learning about these whole poker rooms that you have and poker games that are orchestrated kind of like as side games that are like really high stakes. So I'd been learning about that. And um, anyway, so we watched this movie and like, as she's tumbling down, it was the exact fear that I felt like you, everything just slows down. You know, it's going to happen. You know, you're going to collide and you're just hoping like, I'm not going to die. Like that's all you're hoping. But yeah, it's those moments are really intense. You know, these those kind of like crashes, you know, they happen for a reason. I was just going to say, I mean, that yeah. opened it up in an entirely new universe for you. So, yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. funny. It's just funny how life works. But Jacqueline, thank you for coming you. on. Very yeah. fun. Um, I hope everybody out there, you know, got something from this. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you got multiple things from this. <laughs> But share with a friend. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. I think maybe a crypto listening podcast site soon. You might start it. Who knows? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. It's a lot of work. You know, I have to, I have to think of some things. You know, and, and also setting up the audio is kind of difficult. Like you're doing it from the car. Do you like it? Do you kind of feel like it's working this way? I mean, I like the peace and quiet in here. I look around yeah. and I guess I could be a little, uh, a little cooler, I'd say, but yeah, it's cool. I think it's real. I, I kind of like, I was getting all these microphones and I couldn't figure out the audio interface. I, you know, I was like, do I need a sound engineer? But, um, maybe I'm just being too much of a perfectionist. And you just gotta take action. Like you said, you're absolutely right. Just do it. Like put this, put the screen up and just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But all right, everybody, thank you. Another episode in the books. Bye.